Our scripture passage is Psalm 107. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in dark desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down, and none with help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank God, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the seas he hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they were diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. 
but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I am Jim. I'm one of the uh, five pastors here at Sojourn, and it's so good to see you here this morning. I hope that everyone uh, had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Um, With Thanksgiving, there comes a lot of tradition. And a lot of those traditions center around two things. And both of those things start with the letter F. Can you guess what they are? Football and food. Well, there are three. Family as well. Let me, I totally forgot that one. Family. There's three things. Let's start with the letter F. Family, food, and football. And some of you might switch those around. I don't know. Well, one of the traditions that we have in our home at the Day household is that before we dig in to this great feast that we're getting ready to have on Thanksgiving Day, we gather around, whether it's at the table Uh, or if we have way too many people like we did this time, this Thanksgiving, we gather around in our living room and we say one thing that we are thankful for before we dig in to to eat. This year we kind of stepped it up a notch and we had everyone write it out, what they were thankful for, and then we put it on the table kind of as decoration. But, uh, you know, that tradition, when we gather around as a family and and I ask the question, What is one thing that you're thankful for? And I have nine grandkids that are sitting over here, ranging from the age of 14 to 2 years old. And when I ask that question, you ought to see the looks on their faces. It's like, what am I going to say? What am I going to be thankful for? When it comes my turn to say what I'm thankful for, what am I going to say that I'm thankful for? And the truth be known... Even when I ask that question, some of the adults are kind of looking like a calf looking at a new gate. I don't know what I'm going to say. They're kind of scared. What am I going to say? What am I going to be thankful for? You know, as Christians, we know that we are to be people who are to be grateful and thankful. In fact, one of the marks of a believer is to have a heart of thankfulness and gratitude. That's who we are. That should, that's who we should be as Christians. But oftentimes what we do is we find ourselves like we're sitting around the dinner table and when it's that question is asked of us, we're kind of just wondering, well, what am I going to say when it's my turn? What am I, I'm wondering, what am I going to share that I am thankful for when it comes to me? You know, when I found out that I was going to, to be preaching today, Uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and that we were going to be in the book of Psalms, I just thought to myself, I need to, I need to just to to preach a Thanksgiving psalm. And Psalm 107 is such a psalm. It is a Thanksgiving psalm. But 107 just doesn't tell us that we need to give thanks. What we're going to discover is that it's going to inform us what we are to be thankful for and why we are to be thankful for it. 
Now, as we look at this psalm this morning, I want you to notice that these, three fir- these first three verses here, they serve as the prologue to this psalm. And did you notice when Mike was reading that there was a definite pattern within this psalm? There's a definite pattern. And so look at verse 1. Look what it says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Now, this is the refrain of the psalm. And this frame, this refrain will show up different ways in different forms throughout this psalm. We're going to see it over and over again. But then verse 2 says this. Let, verse 2 is, really gives us the occasion for this psalm. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. So, in each, in each of the four sections we're going to look at here in a little while, we're going to find that God's people are in trouble, in distress, and they're crying out to the Lord, and He rescues them. That is the occasion of this psalm. But then in verse 3, the psalmist gives us the specific context to this psalm. The specific context. Look at verse 3. And he gathered them from the lands, from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. There are two great events in Old Testament history. The exodus out of Egypt, and then the exile. The return from the exile in Babylon. And what we see here, we have these four remaining, remaining groups. These four groups of people. And... As you look in your scriptures, you look in the psalm, you can see them kind of marked out. Whether they're marked out by a break in the lines, or if you take the, if you have an ESV, you see it very clearly that they're marked out by a single word, and that word is some. Now, this psalm is a post-exilic psalm. And so we're introduced to these four groups of exiles. Now, where did these exiles go? Well, In 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and they totally wiped out the northern kingdom. And many of the people were taken off into exile. But then in 586 or 587 B.C., Jerusalem was overrun and overtaken. And many of God's people were put into exile, taken into exile by the Babylonians. And so as we look at these four groups of people here, what we could say about these groups is that they're kind of like a fourfold picture of the Christian experience. They're a full four, full, fourfold picture of the Christian experience. Now you say, wait a second. Wasn't this psalm written way before Christ? Well, yes, it was. It was written way before Christ. But we need to remember this that. Who was this psalm written to? Who was the psalm written to? Well, it was written to the redeemed. It said, let the redeemed of the Lord, let the redeemed of the Lord. Listen, the Old Testament redemption of God's people from Egypt and from the exile was historical reality. But it is also a foreshadow of the reality of redemption that we would become experienced with. It would be our experience of those of us 
who have known God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the experiences of God's people in the past, in the old, were a picture for us of the experiences of God's people today. And much of what they experienced back in the past, we also experience today. And so, let's take a look at these four groups of people. And so, here's this first group we're going to look at. And this first group, let's call them the wanderers. They are the wanderers. And so, look at verse 4. Look what it says. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. And so, here are these wanderers. Why are they in trouble? Well, they're in trouble because they can't find a city to dwell in. They just can't seem to find a city to dwell in. But also notice that they're hungry and they're thirsty. They're hungry and thirsty. To the point, it says, that their soul fainted within them. Now, this wasn't a physical hungering and thirsting. No, this wasn't physically. Rather, it was a lacking, they were lacking spiritually where it affected their soul. You see, these wanderers were unsettled. They were, uh, despite the fact that they had started on a journey, God had provided them a path, a route to take, they wandered. Their unsettledness, and they had a loss of purpose within them. They could not find their way to a city. And so they were hungry and they were thirsty. And really, verse 5 kind of spells it out for us, that their lives were simply ebbing away. This is what they had become. They had become nowhere men and nowhere women. They had lost their purpose. You see, when they got up in the morning, they just wandered around. If you asked them where they were going, they would say, I don't know. I forgot. They were aimless and directionless people. Listen, there are some of us as Christians that this is our Christian experience. It's just like this. We wake up in the morning with no real purpose. There's no direction. There's no clarity in our lives. We are simply wandering around and we're hungry and we're thirsty in our souls. Can I just say this? Beware of the famine that comes to the wandering believer. Beware of the famine, the famine of a wandering life. Beware of a life without any purpose that can so easily creep in that is in direct opposition to a life of faith and a life with purpose and a life that finds satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were wanderers. But then we come to verse 6 and we're going to see verse 6 over and over and over again. And let's call this the turning point. This is the turning point. Look at verse 6. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They, they cried out to God in their trouble. Well, what did God do? Well, verse 7, it says, He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And then down in verse 9 it says, Then he satisfied the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. God provided what they needed. He rescued them. He delivered them and provided their greatest need. And then verse 8. Notice what it says here in verse 8. This is their response. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For his steadfast love, they thanked him. His steadfast love, his kessed love. One of the most important words in the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the most important word in that language. God's steadfast, enduring covenant love. And so in each of these groups, we are going to see the same pattern over and over. Why they're in trouble? What, the, what is their problem? They cry out to the Lord. He helps them. And they praise and give thanks to Him. And so let's look at the second group now. And we find the second group in verses 10 through 6, 16. And let's call this group the prisoners. These are the prisoners. Look at verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against God and his words, uh, against the words of God. And spurred the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. And so why were these people in, in trouble? What would, why are they in, tr in, in trouble? They are in trouble because they are being punished because of the rebellion. But also, they were in affliction. Infliction in chains because they spurned the counsel of the Most High. Listen, the fact that they sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, in chains, they were prisoners. And all of this was brought on by their own making. This was their own making. We all need to be aware or be aware of the prison that comes from a rebellious heart. Let me ask you, did you come in here this morning to this service in a prison? Are you in a prison of your own creation? Because you have a rebellious heart, a rebellious spirit? Well, look at the turning point. There the turning points in verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And what does God do? Well, verse 14. He brought them out of the darkness, the, out of the shadow of death, and he, burst, and he burst their bonds apart. And then verse 16. 
He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. And so he brings them out of this darkness and he breaks their bonds. No longer are they in, in chains any longer. No longer in darkness. No longer in this fear. And he delivered them from the prison that they were held by. And so what is their response? Well, verse 15 tells us their response. He says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And so once again, we see this pattern. They're in trouble. They cry out to God. He delivers them. And they thank him. They thank him. Now let's look at group three. So we've seen the wanderers. We've seen the prisoners. Now let's look at this third group. Let's call this third group the sufferers. These are the sufferers. Look at verse 17. Some were foolish through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They, these were the sufferers. Why are they, are they in trouble? They're in trouble because they're foolish, and they are sinful, and because of their iniquities, they are suffering affliction. They're suffering affliction. What is the trouble that they're suffering? Well, it says in verse 18 that they loathe any kind of food. They loathe any kind of food. Is this because they were on a diet that they loathe this food? No. They're not on a diet here. Most likely it's because of their, their foolish, sinful decisions that they had made. Because of their sinful ways, they had brought on themselves maybe some kind of disease or some kind of pestilence had come upon them. Or perhaps it's because of their sinful, foolish ways that they disdained and they were dissatisfied with the things that God provided them, the food that God provided. They loathed the very food that God provided. Whatever reason it is, they had sickness and they could not eat food. And they did not eat to the very point that they were almost to the point of death. Listen, sickness doesn't always directly come from our sinful choices. But sometimes it does. But it, it is always tied to living in a sinful world. It is always tied to living in a sinful world. Well, what do they do? Well, look at verse 19. It says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He, they cried out. Here we see it again. They cried out. But what does God do? What does God do? What's His response? Well, verse 20, it says, He sent them out. They, he sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. What did they need most of all? They needed the Word of God. What did God send them? His Word. We find that we were, when we're in our greatest need, when we're in our greatest need, we don't need some worldly wisdom. What we need is the Word of God. When we find ourselves at the gate of death, what we need most is God's Word. That we need the healing power of God's Word. 
Because it is the Word of God that gives us life. But notice their response in verse 21 and 22. It says, Then they thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And then it goes on. It says in verse 22, And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of the wonders of His deeds in songs of joy. And so we see here that they thank the Lord for His steadfast love. But then I want you to notice, they took it a step further. It says that this group took it a step further and they offered sacrifices of thanksgiving. Their praise and their thankfulness was demonstrated by sacrifices of thanksgiving. What was that? Well, that was they testified. They testified and shared with others what God had done in their lives. And so... We come to the fourth group. Here we come. We have this final group, this fourth group. And let's call this fourth group the Mariners. Not the Seattle Mariners, Brian. Not the Seattle Mariners. Why were they Mariners? Why do we call them the Mariners? Because they were out working on the seas. They were working on the great seas. Look at verse 23. Some went down to the seas and ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep, for He commanded and raised... Um, we'll stop right there. And so, here are these mariners, these mariners. I want you to notice a couple of things here. Well, let's go on. I didn't read far enough. Verse 26, 25. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the water, the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heavens and went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunk men, and, at, and they were at their wits' end. And so here are these mariners. Now I want you to notice a couple things about these mariners. First of all, I want you to notice that their trouble wasn't of their own making. The trouble that they were in wasn't of their own making. Unlike the, the, the previous groups of people, God initiated this storm. It was God who initiated the storm. It says that God commanded and raised up the wind. And it caused a great storm for them to be in. But then also notice the degree of this storm, the degree of the storm. It says that they, that the storm that they were in was so severe that it melted away their courage. They had lost any kind of courage they had. And it also says that they staggered around like drunk men. They were so consumed by this storm that they were just staggering around. And then it was so bad that they were at their wits in. They didn't know what to do. That's how bad this storm was. Now let's just face it. That's what storms do in our lives. Storms do the same thing in our life. When God allows a storm to come into our life or when God brings some storm in our life, what does that storm do? And what is the purpose of that storm? That purpose of the storm is to lead us to depend upon the Lord.
to cry out and to call out to him. And that's exactly what we see take place here in the turning point in verse 28. It says in verse 28, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And so, we see it once again. They cried to the Lord four times. This is the fourth time that they cried, that someone, a group cried to the Lord and he answers them. What did the Lord do? Well, look at verse 29. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad and the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Does this sound familiar? Sounds a little like Mark, like Mark 4, when Jesus calmed the storm. The disciples are all fearful, and they woke him up, and he calmed the storm and brought him to the shore. But notice their response goes even further. Look at verse 31 and 32. Then they thanked the Lord for his steadfast love and for the wondrous works of the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the peoples and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And so they thanked the Lord again. And they took it even further. And it, it, they took it to a corporate setting. And they thanked and testified and sang songs of joy because of what God had done. That was their testimony. And so four groups with the same pattern. Four groups of the same pattern. They're in trouble for various reasons. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord hears. The Lord saves and rescues them. And they praise the Lord. Let them praise the Lord and give thanks to the Lord. And so, here we see these four groups. Now, I think it's all good and well that we see this pattern taking place over and over in this psalm. In fact, I think every one of us here could probably identify with one of those four groups in some way or another. But what are we to do with this psalm? What are we to do with this psalm and how is it going to help us, you know, really live and flesh out what this psalm is all about? How do we flesh this out in our lives personally today? Well, I think it would be very helpful for us to think about this with some takeaways. What are some takeaways that we can, we get from this psalm? And so I want to give you some takeaways from Psalms 107. And so here's the first takeaway. Call to the Lord no matter what trouble you're in. Call to the Lord no matter what trouble you are in. And so... Four different groups with four different kinds of troubles. The wanderers had no direction, no purpose. They were just aimlessly wandering around. The prisoners, because of their rebellious ways, <laughs> they would not listen to God. They wouldn't listen. And they found themselves in darkness and in chains, and they were trapped in affliction. And then there were the sufferers. Because of their foolish and sinful ways, they brought themselves even up to the, the 
gates of death. They were in chains. They were, they were almost to death. And then there, there's the mariners. They were simply doing what they were supposed to do. They were out there working on the sea. And then they found themselves in a situation of dire straits. Not of their own making. But what did we see in each one? In each case, what did they do? They cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. You know, sometimes I think we can err in one of two ways in our life. Sometimes we think that our troubles are just way too big. They are so big, why should I even bother crying out to the Lord? This trial that I find myself in is so big, why should I even call out to God? This is not a time to call out to God. This is a time to get busy and figure out what to do. How am I going to fix this? It is so big, I need answers and I need them right now. This is not a time to pray. I don't have time to pray. You see, prayer is when you're calm. Prayer is when there's peace. Prayer is when you can settle down and, and be, really begin to pray about things. But when you're in distress and you are drowning at sea and you find yourself the, near the, the, uh, the death's door, you don't pray. It's just too big. But then... I think some of us find ourselves on the very opposite end of the spectrum. And we say, oh, my problems are just so small. My, my problems are, are small. Why, why should I cry out to the Lord? Why should I cry out and plead with Him? Why should I shake the hem of His garment? My problems are so small, why would He come and, and really have mercy on me? Other people's problems are so much bigger than my problems. Why would, would God, why, why, why should I cry out to God in, in my busy schedule, in my disturbed life? And what we find here is that there's nothing that's too big. And there's nothing too small that we should not cry out to the Lord. So, call out to the Lord no matter what the trouble is that you find yourself in. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. And He loves you. The second takeaway is this. Call to the Lord no matter why you are in trouble. Call to the Lord no matter why you are in trouble. You see, no matter what your trouble is, no matter why you're in trouble, call out and cry out to the Lord. We look at these four groups of people and the reasons that they are in trouble and in distress, they varied, didn't they? They varied. Some were in trouble because of their own making. Some because of their sinful, rebellious actions. But then there were some that were in trouble because they were just doing the right thing. They were just doing what they knew to do. 
God brought some trouble, brought this storm in their life. God allowed it to happen. And they were simply doing what they knew to do. And the same is true with us today. Many of you might be here right now this morning saying, you know, I don't know why I'm in this trouble. I don't know why I'm in this, all this troubles in my life. I don't know why my life has turned out the way it has. And then there's some of us here who are say, yeah, I know why I'm in trouble. I have made a mess of my life. I have made so many bad mistakes. I have been so rebellious in my life. I have been so foolish and rebellious and made some, so many foolish decisions in my life. I know why all this trouble is here in my life. But listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what trouble or for whatever reason you're in trouble. The answer time and time again is to cry out, call out to the Lord in your distress. Cry out to God. And so the Lord, so call out to the Lord no matter what, the call, and call out to the Lord no matter why. But number three, remember to give thanks. Remember to give thanks. So, once again, we have these four groups. And each time we see, we saw the re refrain, didn't we? Let them give thanks to the Lord for His wonder, wondrous works to the children of man. It's almost like you get the sense that the psalmist is concerned that God's people forget to thank the Lord. That God's people forget to thank Him. I mean, we can remember to pray in our distress. After all, we're right in the middle of it, aren't we? We're in the middle of it, and we're freaking out, and it's hard, and it's hurting. We cry out to the Lord. But we don't want to be those kind of people who just say, gimme, 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 gimme. We don't want to be those kind of people. Now, I know you parents here this morning, you, you're very gracious to your kids. And you give your kids things that they ask for. You give them the things that they ask for. But if all your kids do is say, give me, give me, give me. Please, can I have that? Oh, can I have this over here? Listen, my birthday's coming up. Can I have this for my birthday? Well, my birthday's passed. Well, how about Christmas? Christmas is coming up. Can I have this? Can I have that? But Christmas is gone? Well, how about Flag Day? We do celebrate Flag Day, right? Can I have that for Flag Day? Oh, no, I can't have it for Flag Day? Well, how about Father's Day? After all, I'm going to be a father one day. Listen, if all your kids do is say, give me, give me, give me, but do they stop and say, thank you? Do they stop and say, thank you? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Of all the people on this planet, 
those of us who are Christians ought to be thankful and grateful for what God has done for us through Christ. You see, when the psalmist calls us out, he also says, he says, say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We should be saying something about God's redeeming love in our lives because we are thankful and we are grateful. Amen. Someone has said, a, silent Christian, a si silent Christian is a strange creature. Does such a creature exist? We should probably affirm that a silent Christian is no Christian at all. So let's remember to give thanks. Let's remember to give thanks. The last takeaway is this. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord and be wise. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord and be wise. Isn't that what we read at the end of this psalm? Verse 43 says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, we are used to the Proverbs and other scriptures saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? I mean, we hear that all the time. We read that all the time. But here in this psalm, we could also say, the steadfast love of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, the psalmist said, consider Consider this. Consider this. What are we to consider? We are to consider that our God is a God of reversal. That God is a God of reversal. People brought low are lifted up high. Those who have exalted themselves are brought low. Those who are crushed by their sin are lifted up. And those who are haughty in their righteousness, he will cast them down. Look at verse 33. Look what it says. It says, he turns rivers into desert springs of water, into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. But it goes also the other way. Look at verse 35. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. So, they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessings they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempts on princes and makes them wonder in trackless ways. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts their mouths. Amen. And so, God is a God of reversals. Now, there's always a warning, but there is also hope. The warning is this. You look at your life and you say, I'm on top. I have made it. I have arrived. 
But what happens when the God of reversal shows up? What's going to happen when the God of reversal shows up in your life? But there's also hope. And the hope is this. When you are at your lowest point, in that moment you say, I feel so low. I don't know if I've ever been so needy in my life. I don't know how I could ever be more aware of my affliction. Listen, it is in that very moment that God is prepared and he is ready to lift you up. You see, wisdom comes when we realize that we need to be on the right side of this reversal and that we need to be crying out to the true God in our times of trouble and affliction. Now, why is God like this? Why is God a God of reversal? Why does God desire for us to cry out to Him in the times of our need and our despair? The simple answer is this, because He loves us. Because He loves us. God loves His people. But He's also like this because this is just how God works. This is how God works. You see, the way God works is by reversal. This reversal of God is in no way some anomaly. No, this is just how he delights to work in the children, his children's lives, by God, by reversing things. And the gospel is God's final reversal. The gospel is God's final reversal. You see, the sinless one suffered condemnation so that the sinful ones, that is you and me, might not. Why does God choose to work this way? He chooses to work this way because He is God. He is God. And His steadfast love endures forever. Now, I want to close this morning with a true story. A true story. This is a story of a man out hiking with his wife one afternoon in the middle of an open field. And they were out in the middle of this open field and they got caught by a hailstorm. And this wasn't just a hailstorm. This was one of those terrible hailstorms. The hailstone, I mean, this was a massive storm. One of those storms where the hell, the hell was as large as baseballs. The man realized that if he didn't do something very quickly, that his wife would be severely hurt. So the man draped himself over his wife, covering her with his own body, so that the hailstones would hit him and they would not hit her. He thought the hailstorm would only last a few seconds, but the hailstorm stones seemed to get bigger and bigger and larger and larger and harder and harder. After a couple of minutes, his ears were bleeding. He was bleeding on his head and his arms were, was all bleeding. And he tried to get to cover and he was so weakened by the onslaught that he finally just collapsed over his wife, only able to shield her from the danger she lay beneath him. After a few minutes, 
The storm finally ceased, but the hailstones had taken their toll. They both survived, but he was left with scars from where the balls had battered at, away at him. Scars that remained today. He carries around with him visible, visible reminders of the day that he saved his wife's life. A local newscast interviewed the wife and asked her how she felt about this experience. And this is what she said. Well, every time that I see the scars, I love him more and I thank him over and over and over. Did you know that according to the book of Revelation, that there will only be one person in heaven with scars. Only one person. You and I will have perfect bodies. But Jesus will permanently have holes in his hands and in his feet and one in his side. And those scars will be eternal reminders that the only reason you and I are there is because he stood between the wrath of God and the judgment headed our way. He covered us with his love. With his steadfast love. He covered us. And he kept the hellstones of judgment from hitting us. And when we look at those scars, it will make us love him more and more. And it will make us want to cry out and say, Thank you. Thank you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. If you're here today and you are saying to yourself right now, you know, I don't know why I would thank God. I don't know why I would be thankful to the Lord. Can I just ask you to do this? Can I just ask you to consider Consider the love that God had for you. That he would send Jesus to die in your place for your sins at a cross. So that you could have a relationship with him. Just consider that for a moment. And then all you have to do is cry out to him. Cry out to him and he will listen. He will listen and he will respond to you. Let's pray together. Please pray with me. Father, would you let thankfulness be who we are and what we breathe? Because we have been redeemed. We confess when we are thankless, Father, it's because we think we can be our own saviors. And we gaze upon our little creations, little sandcastles that get washed away by the water and are here for a minute or two or a few years and are gone. 
And we look at those and think they're awesome instead of gazing upon the scars that saved us. So, Father, would you reveal to us wanderers who are famished, that great feast lay right in front of us, because you will satisfy the longings of our soul, and what we chase doesn't. Reveal to us prisoners. We sit in that we have had a rebellious heart. We have used many of our years and resources and lives convincing ourselves that we're okay. And we are not. Hear our cries. Help us to depend upon your steadfast love. Father, reveal to the sufferers that we have suffered for our own sins and we've longed for Egypt when we're in the wilderness, in a paradise of rust. Our idols ground up in our water do not taste good. Would you hear our cry? Send your word to restore us again. Thank you that we have a place like this where we can corporately get together and see your character and your word so clearly revealed. God, give us mariners that <clears throat> the winds have battered us and caused a storm, but um, give us the reminder that that same hand that brought the storm calms the water. And like you said to the disciples in Mark 4, what they forgot, that you said, we are going to the other side. And you're going to take us to the other side, Father. We have, corporately, God, we want to come before you like they would have done <laughs> in this psalm, God. And we want to say that we love you and thank you for your steadfast love. God, help us to gaze upon you as we sing to you, all glory be to Christ. Pray these things in your name. Amen.